Hello and welcome to another episode of Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence from the TCT editorial content team. I'm your host, Laura Griffiths, Head of Content at TCT, and today we have an interview with Byron Kennedy, CEO of Australian metal 3D printing company, Speed3D. Launched in 2017, Speed3D is known for its supersonic 3D deposition process, an ultra-fast additive technique adapted from metal cold spray technology. On this episode, we hear how the company's technology is enabling manufacturers to create real production parts, its work in the field with the Australian Army and conservative push into the defence sector, and how its production cell is giving manufacturers all the tools they need to bring metal 3D printing in-house. If you like what you hear, you can get your free print subscription to TCT Magazine and receive the biggest 3D printing news stories delivered straight to your inbox every week with our Additive Insight newsletter by subscribing now at tctmagazine.com. You can also let us know what you think on social at the TCT Magazine and join in the discussion on the Additive Manufacturing Global Community Discord. But first, a word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial-grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod. Okay, so hi Byron, thanks very much for joining us on the Additive Insight Podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, very, very good. So I'm down in uh, Melbourne in Australia and, and the weather's turning nice, so it's, it's a good time to be here. That's good. We've got the opposite here in the UK. So we have a, a looming lockdown and rain. So as usual. <laughs> yeah, that's no surprise for the UK with that rain bit. <laughs> so let me get something out of the way first. Your company name, Speed3D, have I been pronouncing it wrong this whole time? No, no we, we, when we came up with the name, we, we decided to leave it up to, you know, customers and, and various people to work out what they were going to call it. Was it going to be Speed? Was it going to be Speed 3D? I'm going to say that the vast majority say Speed 3D, so that's what we've ended up with, but we're, we're happy either way. And so um, the goal behind your technology then is to print metal parts quickly. Can you just tell us how it works? Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll give you a little bit of background on the on the um, company, the technology, and and ourselves. So firstly, on the technology. So um, what we were looking for. Actually, I'll, I'll talk about my background to start because that leads into how the technology was developed and where we got okay. to. So my background was actually manufacturing myself and Steve are the two co-founders of of Speed Three D. We previously had another company designing electric motors. And we, we built that company and we sold that to a large U.S. motor manufacturer. And we worked with them for 10 years, setting up production lines for those electric motors. It was very successful. You we know, went on to generate 50-odd million in revenue for the company by the time we left. So um, during that, um, that role, we learned a lot about manufacturing. 
and about the pain that people go through in, in bringing new technology to products because we had to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those real challenges was casting and, and particularly how long it used to take to get a, a new cast product uh, into the market. Because what happens, you you initially start by machining a particular part and then you might do a um, a low-volume tool and then a high-volume tool. And, and each of those times, you know, you're, you're waiting 12 to 16 weeks. So um, so we saw this 3D printing coming and the ability for it to really simplify this, the ability to get products into the market quickly and then could it then be used for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the challenge that we then saw, of course, is is the traditional laser-based technology was just way too expensive and too slow for production. So mm-hmm. we we therefore said, you know, could we develop a technology which was um, fast and low cost and could actually be used for production? And and when I'm saying production, you know, th- these are these are volume production, not um, sort of one-off prototypes, which which generally 3D printing is being used for today. Mm-hmm. So um, so we started and we looked around for technology. We came across this process called cold spray, which was used by the U.S. military primarily for repair. It's actually invented by the Russians in the 80s. Um, and um, and we saw, we looked at the technology and had all the hallmarks of what we were after, which was a technology which was fast and a technology which was low cost. Because when you get into production, it's all about speed. So, um, and, and, you know, I can talk about the economics involved. So we looked at this repair technology and thought, you know, if we can add the sophistication, so the software to be able to take a repair technology and enable it to build parts, mm-hmm. then we would have a, a metal 3D printing technology, which was suitable for, for production. So mm-hmm. that's, a bit, that's really about how it came about. And, and how cold spray actually works is in the printer, we have a small rocket nozzle and that rocket nozzle accelerates air or it could be a gas, but we use air in our printer. So we accelerate air to about Mach 3, so three times the speed of sound or about 1,000 metres a second. We mm-hmm. then inject powder into this high-velocity air and it then shoots out very, very quickly. And if you... If you spray a powder quick enough, when it hits a surface, it will then stick and then create a full density part. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the underlying technology called cold spray, uh, which is accelerating powder to a very, very fast speed and letting it stick. What we then did is added the sophistication to be able to, let's say, capture those particles in the right spot and enable that to then build parts. So. Okay. And, and it's a solid-state process, so there's no melting involved. And that's the reason why we can then build parts so quickly because it's a, a solid process throughout. Mm-hmm. And as you just explained there, it's built on this established process already. You've added this sophistication with, with the software, and you've also graduated yourselves from this, um, first of all, light speed technology to now warp speed technology. Is the main difference uh, the, the speed, it's, again, itself, or, or are there other differences between the two of those processes? Uh, the, the two printers we sell, they, they actually use the same rocket nozzle. Um, mm-hmm. The difference is only the size of the part. So the the smaller light speed machine makes parts um, 350 by 300 and about four kilos or about a foot by a foot by about 10 pound. Mm-hmm. And the warp speed is a factor of 10 larger in terms of mass. 
So it's about 40 kilos or about 100 pound. And size is about uh, a meter by 700 or about three foot by two foot roughly. So mm. the difference is purely the size of the parts that can be produced on the printer. They will print at the same speed. They will produce the same materials. Uh, it's just if you want to build big parts, you buy the warp speed or or if you want to buy, um, make multiple parts at the same time, you can use the warp speed. Um, or if you're building smaller parts in, in um, what we call single-piece flow, then um, you can use the, the light speed. So either is, is applicable for production. Okay. And you spoke about it a bit earlier about your challenges um, in, your, in your first company in terms of wanting to get parts manufactured quickly. And we're very used to in metal additive seeing these very complex design for additive parts. And I remember when I first spoke to you back in 2017, you mentioned how this technology was going to be about making real parts that real manufacturers really need. And um, you know people that don't really want to use these fancy algorithms or special techniques to design these high-end, high-cost parts, is, is that still very much the case with your goal and your customer base yeah yeah very much so so i can give you an example um so we've done a lot of work recently with the australian um, army uh mm -hmm. and um and we've been on trial so one one thing we are doing is, is we're actually taking these printers out into the field so and when i say into the field we, we're talking in the middle of the bush so we literally took uh, one of our warp speed printers we put it on the back of a um uh, uh, an army truck and then transported it with the necessary um, accessories out into the middle of the bush uh, and, and we set up and we actually build parts uh, as part of an army exercise or, or trial. So this is really proving that the technology is what we call expeditionary. And what that mm -hmm. means is is really um, the, the aim for defence is to be able to print as close to the front line as possible uh, and, and this trial was actually proving that. So in terms of the parts that were produced, um, there, there's numerous case studies that w were, were done on the trial. So we did about 50 case studies of, of parts. Um, and, and some of those are um, confidential, of course, but, but some of them aren't not. So some of the ones I can talk about, for instance, was um, there was a bracket and this bracket was used for a fuel pump module. And what mm -hmm. happens is is the original part was undersized or, or um, uh, used to break in the field. And what happens then is if that part breaks, then the fuel module would um, stop operating and you couldn't get fuel. So mm -hmm. um, these, are, these are not sophisticated parts, as, as we've said. Uh, but if you don't have that, and, you know, this, this might be a $50 part, for example. Um, but without that $50 part, you cannot get fuel out and then all your, your trucks or, or whatever they may be cannot mm -hmm. get fuel. And therefore, the the real challenge then is um, it, it's not the $50 part, which is the issue. The real issue is, you know, the, the 10 trucks which are stranded waiting for fuel. So mm -hmm. um, that are, these are the sorts of applications which are, which are very, very practical and very, very real in, in the real world. So, um, you know, uh, optimization of a bracket is, is just not required. What's required is for that bracket to be built there and then and, and to fix whatever the issue is. So they're, mm -hmm. they're, the, they're the applications in a expeditionary sense that we're seeing. Um, and, and many, many other applications around um, high volume production are starting to come through now. 
um, mm. and, and around some of the materials which we produce. So, um, so we're a little different in terms of the materials we produce. Um, so one of the main materials we produce is, for instance, copper. And for us, copper is a very, very simple material to spray. It's very dense and, and it works very, very well. Where mm. in your typical laser bed systems, even though people are doing copper and and um, and talk about it a lot, it's it's very very expensive and very very slow in a laser bed system. Where for us, you know, we can we can produce roughly twenty five ton of copper um, parts per year. And and to give you an example, a typical SLM machine would be doing about two hundred fifty kilos. <coughs> so we're a factor of a hundred. Um, uh, hundred times more production in in the our our standard machine. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you a bit more about materials. You know, as you've mentioned, you've got this idea of making these parts that manufacturers really need and and really want in the world. Does the same go for the kinds of materials then that you're that you're working with now, and maybe materials that you're planning on working with in the future? Yeah, yeah. So so our um. Our vision is to um, for production, and and therefore it's the standard material. So, really, in the world, there's there's three metals in the world: there's steel, aluminium, uh, copper, and then everything else is a distant third. So mm-hmm. we spend about ninety percent of our time on aluminium and copper. Um, you know, the standard steels are a challenge because they're very very cost competitive. You know, a dollar a kilo for for steel is is common. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very very difficult for 3D printing to compete in the steel market. Um, we are doing um, uh, 316 stainless steel, uh, but we, we won't do your, your typical um, mild steels or your tool steels or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of your aluminiums, so we print, or aluminiums, depending on where you live, um, the, we print um, the, the bog standard uh, 6061 aluminium, which is, which is your most common machine grade aluminium uh, mm-hmm. because, um, because that's standard. Um, and then in copper, um, primarily we work in the pure copper. So um, we don't have to put any additives or anything. So it's, it's your, your pure, pure copper. Um, once again, very good for electrical and thermal conductivity. We, we then do work in some of the specialised areas, so we're able to um, um, have some nice blends of material. So things like uh, copper chrome, copper tungsten, these are used a lot in uh, the electrical distribution industry, also in the military space. Um, aluminium bronze is also another one, highly corrosive resistant, so very good in the marine sector. So, mm-hmm. um, so generally... You know, high-level overview for us, it's it's aluminium uh, and copper is the number one stainless, which which we're doing now, and then um, the blends of of copper and aluminium as well. Mm-hmm. And I did want to try and get through this whole conversation without talking about COVID, but you guys actually had quite a an interesting application early on this year, which was um, using your copper printing to print onto um, high-touch surfaces to to curb the spread of, of the virus. Can you just talk about how that came about and, and, and how it works. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, that was really our, um, you know, when, when COVID hit, we, we thought, what can we do? And copper has this quite a unique property in that it can kill bacteria and viruses upon touch. So what that means is if, you, if you've got a bacteria or virus on your finger and then you touch a, a surface, let's say it's a door handle, 
then that virus or bacteria can get transmitted onto the door handle. So the beauty about copper is copper will actually kill that bacterial virus. So what we did is we then uh, modified the printer to enable it then to coat existing parts such as door handles. So what you do is you load in the uh, geometry of the, the parts, so, um, so a door handle for this instance, and it automatically, will automatically generate the toolpath to be able to coat that in pure copper. And mm -hmm. um, we, we went away and, um, and this was right in the middle of the, the first pandemic, uh, was uh, first lockdown in, in, in about March, and we proved that we could actually kill the uh, COVID-19 virus in, in under two hours. So, so that was a real you know, breakthrough to be able to, to, one, to be able to get a lab to actually test that for us at that time was, was amazing. Uh, and, and then, you know, get the results that we did. So, um, so copper is known, you know, that, that it's, it's known to kill viruses and bacteria. There's no problems, but no one had tested that in, in the COVID, um, COVID-19 virus. So, so we were one of the first in the world to actually prove that the copper would then um, kill the, the virus. So, mm -hmm. so people are, or so the the um, the obvious question is why don't you just print a, a door handle in copper um, rather than coat it? So, and it's just all got to do with economics. So, uh, pure copper is actually quite expensive. So, mm -hmm. being able to use a standard, you know, stainless steel part or or something like that, and just putting about a, a one millimeter thick layer of um, copper on it um, is is a much more economical approach than building. Um, building the door handles or whatever the parts may be in pure copper. So mm -hmm. um, so the beauty now is the printing technology can, one, can um, print parts, but two, now we can um, coat parts. So we can coat in uh, copper, we can coat in, in pure aluminium. That could be for corrosion resistance or some sort of um, uh, resistance to chemicals or, or those sorts of things. So, um, so being able to now print and coat is is something that technology can do. And mm -hmm. next is um, going to be repair. So, so we will be releasing a case study in in the coming month uh, about um, reverse engineering. So that's taking parts which you don't have the design files for anymore, mm -hmm. and you load it into our printer, and then it automatically scans the part, and then creates a watertight mesh which you can then use to then rebuild the part or, or build the part from scratch. So, so that is coming. So not yet released, but, but it will be soon. And therefore, you know, the technology will then be capable of building parts, uh, coating parts and um, repairing parts and, and then the reverse engineering. So, um, so we're quite excited about that um, upgrade, which we'll be doing soon. Okay. And it's been um, almost a year now since you guys showed your um, production cell at Form Next. Of course, as we know, we're not having the physical event this year. Um, but you know, you guys have, have been there the last couple of years now, and um, with launching new um, new products, new hardware. And this production cell is this combination of metal printing, the heat treatment process, um, some milling as well in there. Is this kind of like an all-in-one representation of Speed Three D's end-to-end process? Yeah, that that's ex exactly right. So we're working with some some customers at the moment to to integrate that together. So the the printer itself, um, if you actually delve inside the printer, it the parts are actually built on the end of a robot arm. Once the parts printed, that robot arm can then automatically eject that part 
uh, onto a um, onto a tray or onto a conveyor belt, which will then automatically take that into a, uh, a CNC process, which will finish it. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the applications we're working on at the moment, you know, prints parts in less than five minutes and, and then machines it in, in roughly five minutes. So it's quite interesting. So the machine machining is slightly slower than the printing process. Um, but, um, but certainly this is what the holy grail for manufacturing is, is what's called single piece flow. And single mm-hmm. piece flow is, is really from the um, you know, Toyota manufacturing system. And um, it's about printing one part, one part, one part, one part, not batch production. So, and, and that gives rise to all sorts of advantages in the manufacturing space. So that's really why we've set the printer up. It's almost upside down. So we print upwards and then um, and use the, the robot internal in the printer to, um, to unload the part. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's uh, coming into fruition, fruition in, in the coming year. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I saw that come about, it really reflected on something else that I recall um, you saying in one of our early interviews um, in 2017. I remember you describing how um, the printing process is really fast and the fact that post-processing was just a necessary part of the, the end-to-end process anyway. So the fact you could get the, the printing side done was really important because you have to do all these steps afterwards anyway. And so was it really important to kind of automate that post-processing step um, within that one box? Yeah, so what, what you want to do is to um, make all the processes roughly the same time timeline uh, mm. in terms of printing and, and machining. So we actually are running still two, two different systems. So, you know, there's a printer and then there's an external CNC machine right. and then there's a transfer tool in between. Uh, so, so really the key then is to look at all of the systems and say which is the slowest and then you try to speed that one up because if you can make all of the, the subsystems work at the same speed, so like for instance, you know, a roughly five minutes in this case, then, then you can get um, um, full um, single piece flow. Mm-hmm. You've already tackled the challenge of, of speed um, with this technology. Are there any other looming challenges in additive that you're also aiming to address in the coming months and years with C3D? Um, so really the, the big, um, the the big challenge is always cost. Um, and 3d printing fails to talk about cost on, on so many occasions. So we, we put that right up front with all of these, um, uh, technologies is unless you have a business case, um, you know, the, the technology will always just be a prototyping tool. Now it's a, Mm -hmm. it, it, it is an exceptional prototyping tool, so there's no doubt, but you know, our vision is really to take it into production. And um, and really, it is then about you know how much is that part going to cost. So really, the the focus and and when we when we break it down, you know we look at a per kilogram price, and and roughly our machine in production costs about um, ten to twenty dollars per kilogram, and and that what what I mean by that that means um, labor, um, cost of the machine, you know depreciation. Uh, power, overheads, all of those things. So what you do is it's roughly ten to twenty dollars a kilo, plus the powder price. So mm-hmm. really, the the focus is now getting that powder price lower and lower. So um, so today, um, when we buy commodity powder, so pure copper is very cheap, pure aluminium is very cheap, 
But, you know, if you get into some of the specialised um, powders made for 3D printing, they're, you know, very, very expensive. Um, yeah. So really the and, – and there's no real reason that they have to be that expensive today other than volume. And, and we all understand, you know, when the volumes aren't, aren't high, then, then the price is going to be much higher. So really yeah. the focus is really pushing the volume up because that is a snowball effect in in enabling um, the lower cost powders to be produced, which will then enable more and more product to be produced. So really, that will be the focus going forward. We we know the cost of the um, the the process, so you know labour overheads and and power and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and certainly, cold spray is by far the cheapest. You know, there's there's no process gas involved, so it's really just labour um, labour and um, power and machine amortization um okay. so very very easy math to work out <clears throat> and then it comes down to the powder price so that that's really the key is is to push that powder price as low as possible okay and we've heard about the um the application stories within the australian army and um really manufacturing um, in the field what other industries are you seeing the biggest uptake in with your technology yeah, so so we're doing a lot of work, as we said, with with defence at, at present, um, and and that's you know twofold. You know, uh, the certainly the um, commercial industry is much more um, gun shy at the moment due due to the you know economic conditions worldwide, where mm-hmm. defence is accelerating hard. So um, so we we're we're making a, a concerted push into the defence sector, and that's working very very well. <clears throat> In terms of the um, uh, commercial sector um, it, it's really around the materials and and the electrical industry for instance is is very very exciting for us mm-hmm. and that's around specialized materials uh, these combinations of copper plus other materials being able to produce parts which um, which we can do faster and and cheaper than conventional manufacturing because copper is actually a very difficult machine um, material to work with so so that's an area which we're seeing um, <clears throat> a lot of interest in and um, and and more yeah there, there's certainly a lot a lot more around the defense sector as well which we're seeing you've just said it yourself there it kind of over the world it's a bit of a, a challenge of time you know the people not necessarily wanting to invest in in new technologies perhaps but we have seen over the last year more people looking at additive manufacturing as an alternative to the traditional manufacturing processes, as we've seen um, typical um, production lines and supply chains put on hold. Have you noticed that your, yourself in terms of um, more people wanting to come and see what this technology is about and what it can do in terms of bringing it closer to the point of need? Yeah, the, the key term there is sovereign capability. So, you know, can you manufacture the part where and where you need them? <clears throat> And do you have their supply chain within a particular country to be able to deliver that? And, and supply chain will be everything. You know, that's everything from the powder to the to the printing, and, and that's relatively straightforward. And, and then the then the post processing, which is you know heat treating plus machining. So um, so sovereign capability is getting a a workout all over the world. That that is certainly something which which we are seeing today. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, in 12 months, is that still a focus? And and, and I'll be quite curious to, to see what the world is saying in another 12 months' time about the sovereign capability. Because mm-hmm. um, there's one thing uh, to say everyone wants sovereign capability, but you still need to be commercially viable. You still need to, to be able to reduce the parts, um, you know, a similar cost 
to, to being able to import them. So, um, so certainly today, yes, the sovereign capability is, is of, of high interest to, to many sectors and, and many areas. Mm -hmm. And so finally, you've got this case study um, coming up next. You've talked about other industries that you're really interested in. What does the next sort of 12 months look like for Speed 3D? Yeah, so I, I, I will, as we said, you know, there'll be a lot of emphasis on defence going forward. So we've got mm -hmm. printers going into the Navy at the moment, so getting getting the applications in the Navy. The Army's been going exceptionally well, and, and we've got some more printers in defence as well. Um, we're also uh, opening up some of the other sectors with the release of the stainless steel, such as the oil and gas industry. You know, that, that's a tough industry at the moment because of the price of oil being quite low, but, mm -hmm. um, but that will recover and that will come back. So... Um, and and also in rail, I'm really excited about rail at the moment. Mm -hmm. And this is replacing um, legacy parts. So the, the rail industry is very similar to defence in that they produce, you know, a lot of parts. They've they've got to keep their trains going for, you know, 30 years or 50 years, and and many many suppliers have gone bankrupt in that time. So um, so how do they get these particular parts? Well, you know, they either may have the drawings or may not, um, and if they don't, we can scan them, and if they do, we can then print them. So replacement of cast um, aluminum, aluminium parts for the rail industry is uh, certainly interesting. And, and, um, and, and as I said, the, the, the electrical distribution market will, will continue to um, explore the, the, the opportunities that we're seeing in those sectors. And now, a word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial-grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program, and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software, which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash Ultimaker Pod.